May I speak to you in the name of the Holy One. Amen. Good morning, beloved church, and a blessed pride. It sounds like the parade has already started, which is a surprise. As we all know, it's been a really, really tough week. So I stand before you now in this pulpit, lifting up my female voice to preach. I stand before you in defiance of those who have ruled that I am not a full person. I stand before you in defiance of those who would gladly say that my role in church should be to cover my head and remain silent. And I stand with you in defiance of those who have already signaled that they will now turn their attention to limiting the rights of the LGBTQ community. Lord, have mercy. Let's start at the outset by naming and claiming our right to be defiant and by noticing the resonances between last Sunday and this Sunday. Last week, Ed did such an amazing job of explaining the difference between two ways of enacting change. On the one hand, the very enticing but ultimately unfulfilling lure of retributive justice. And on the other hand, the healing power of restorative justice. Ed spoke eloquently of the deeper meaning behind Juneteenth, of understanding Juneteenth as a model of restorative justice working in the world, of seeing Juneteenth as one of the first fruits of the kingdom that Paul describes when he speaks of being called to freedom. Juneteenth is a celebration of real freedom, the right to become, to have agency, to live into oneself and to openly express black joy. So I want to lift up pride as a similar first fruit of restorative justice. Pride is a declaration of full membership in the people of God, a rising up toward justice in response to the crushing oppression of those who seek to belittle, dismiss, and demean LGBTQ people as less than and not being allowed. Pride rebukes that oppression by celebrating queerness unapologetically in all of its many manifestations. 53 years ago in 1969, the Stonewall Uprising was the turning point of an years of effort by the LGBTQ community to counteract the narrative that anything other than cisgendered heteronormativity was transgressive and abnormal. 
Pride also rejects the bodily punishments inflicted on gay people by police and brutality. Pride is about claiming unapologetically the right to agency to become oneself as one is in all of one's glory. So I want to focus on Paul's letter today for one simple reason. Paul has too often been used as the chief sledgehammer in Christian justifications for vilifying not only LGBTQ people, but women and other groups as well. Drawing on that deep history of disturbing Pauline interpretation, I want to branch out beyond Galatians and bring in Romans too. Because our Galatians passage today echoes one of what I would refer to as the Christian texts of terror, to borrow a phrase from Phyllis Tribble, for LGBTQ people. What I'm referring to is Romans 1 27 verses that are repeatedly used as proof texts for the false Christian belief that being gay is an abnormal lifestyle choice. That heinous belief, by the way, was celebrated as a plank in the Texas Republican platform only last weekend. A platform that is a preview of the right-wing strategy for this year's midterm elections. Now that the court has successfully ruled that gun owners have more rights than women do, the extremists in our country are turning their attention to the queer community. Fear-mongering and vilifying all things LGBTQ, especially transgender people, is going to be their thematic campaign hook for the midterms. They will use it in the same way that they used the supposed caravans of migrants in 2020 and 2018. So I read you Romans now with apologies. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Their females exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the males giving up natural intercourse with females and were consumed with their passionate desires for one another. Let's start by making it clear that Paul, like many writers of his time, used lists as a way to prove a given point. Rhetorical style of the ancient world frequently employed a throw-in-everything-but-the-kitchen-sink approach to argument. So these two verses from Romans are part of exactly just such a list. Quite similar to the one that we heard in Galatians today. And when we keep that in mind, the key to interpreting this kind of passage is to focus less on the specifics in the list and more on what is the underlying behavior 
that Paul was trying to rebuke. In this case, he was talking clearly about abuse of power, particularly the abuse of male power in order to subjugate everyone else. The Romans were experts at this kind of abuse. Under Roman law, the pater familias, the head of the family, could literally kill anyone in his household with impunity, no questions asked. Does hearing that information resonate with the court decisions that we heard this week? It does for me. The entire Roman government was organized as a system of dominance, a hierarchy that placed the emperor at the pinnacle, a human being who claimed to be a god and was worshipped as such. So given that context, while it was true that in Paul's Jewish tradition, heteronormativity was emphasized. It was also true that in the Greco-Roman world, many kinds of relationships were known and, ex and accepted. Paul lived in and responded to both of those contexts because he was a Roman citizen. He knew that people in the upper echelons of Roman society were using and abusing their power all the time. So what Paul was really critiquing here were the ways in which we humans can abuse each other in relationships when we use them to satisfy our egos. How we use our power to dominate, control, and then discard other human beings. Here's the real gist of Paul's argument in verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So Paul was talking about a kind of idolatry of worshiping other humans as if they were God. The emperor was not a god, he was human. When we worship the creation instead of the creator, we limit our understanding of who and what God is. And we all know what follows from that. Once humans set themselves up as replacements for God, not only is their image of God devalued, but abuses of power are bound to result. So Paul was lamenting the ways in which we degrade each other in order to satisfy the desires of our egos. This kind of abuse happens in every kind of relationship, regardless of sexual orientation. It's also really interesting to know that there were no categories of queer or trans in the ancient world. Gender and sexual preferences were understood actually to be far more fluid 
in ancient cultures than they often are today. One's gender moved along a spectrum. And here's the key. Where you were on that spectrum changed minute by minute, depending on which relationship you were referring to at any given time. Male was seen as the dominating part, and female as the dominated. But anyone and everyone could be understood to be male or female at any moment. For example, the emperor was female when juxtaposed with God. Every subject of the emperor was female because the emperor dominated and so was male in relationship to them. I could have been the master who owned people and regardless of the fact that I am female, I would have been male in relationship to the ones that I owned. When we consider that understanding of gender fluidity, then we think about Paul saying there is no more male or female. That statement was even more radical than we usually think it is. Because Paul was disrupting the dominance of maleness all the way across the board, refuting the cultural binary of dominator and dominated, even while living in a culture where gender was fluid. Paul was saying that as God's children, we are all fully human at all times and in all places. Because for Paul, as Christians, our primary relationship is with Christ, the God who was both fully human and fully divine, the God who emptied himself and became one of us in order to experience what we experience, the God who stood beside us and became one of the dispossessed, the God who willingly placed himself at the bottom of the Roman system, and in doing so, turned the meaning of what it means to be God and to be human entirely upside down. So Paul sounds that same note in Galatians. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. The whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So once again, Paul is speaking of the complete categorical rejection of the abuse of power the refusal of any manifestation of dominance. Next time you're reading Paul, I urge you, substitute the word ego wherever he says flesh. And this term becomes so clear, so very clear. 
In both Romans and Galatians, Paul is emphasizing that something new has happened in the world, that all of our old ways of understanding how to be a community were void. Christian community is not based on the dog-eat-dog hierarchy of the Roman world. Christian community exploded the Roman version of the big lie, which was God wants things to be unequal so that the few at the top get and everyone else suffers. That lie that we too should strive always to claw our way to the top, dominating everyone and anyone that we can. Jesus and Paul modeled restoration, not retribution. They modeled a praxis of love where we bear each other's burdens instead of stepping our way on top of others to get to the pinnacle. They modeled loving each other and allowing each other to grow into becoming what we are destined to be, human beings that are fully alive. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Yesterday I read a short reflection about hope posted by someone named Matthew. I don't know anything else about this person. People speak of hope as if it is this delicate, ephemeral thing made of whispers and spiders' webs. It's not. Hope has dirt on her face, blood on her knuckles, the grit of the cobblestones in her hair, and just spat out a tooth as she rises to rise again. Happy Pride, beloveds. Keep on voting, keep on rising, and keep on living and being restorative justice. We shall overcome. Amen.